uh, nine sermons covering the fruits of the Spirit there in Galatians. And let me read to you the list one more time before we close this sermon series out. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, there's nine qualities listed there. This is not, this does not comprise all of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but there's nine, nine things that Paul mentions that are a result of being in relationship with God and, and having the Spirit uh, indwell our hearts and minds. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what we learn when we study these uh, characteristics in Scripture is they're all describing God, right? They're all describing who He is. We started with love. Well, God is love. When we talked about joy, well, He created us to enjoy Him. We talked about peace. He's the God of peace. We, ta- we talked about how incredibly patient He is, how overwhelmingly kind and good that He is. And how perfectly faithful and trustworthy he is. Talked about how he is so gentle with us. And he's always in control, as I mentioned in prayer just now. And so, But here, here's the deal. As we've taken these characteristics one by one, when you zoom in on these qualities of God, it becomes painfully clear that we are not all of these things, right? We realize what the Bible teaches so clearly that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We're we're sinful. And so we don't display these character traits like we should. We don't experience them in this world as we should. If we didn't have sin in our hearts and minds all the time, we'd be knocking this list out of the park. But every time we contemplate one of these qualities, there's a part of us that's like, oh man, I really need to work on this. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, building some awareness in your hearts and minds that you need to make a change. We're not perfect. And so when we, when we think about this, what, what, what Christians, how we describe this, we describe ourselves as broken image bearers of God. So all of us were created in the image and likeness of God. So we resemble him in special ways, but we don't resemble him perfectly because of sin. So we're broken image bearers in the sense that we don't reflect who he is in this world the way that we should reflect him in this world. So we don't always feel the love Maybe this morning you're here and you're not feeling the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, right? Sometimes life feels more like war than it does peace. Sometimes we're just downright mean. Sometimes we're just bad. We're not good. We struggle to be faithful. We struggle to be trustworthy. And each of us in here, we have times in which we don't handle others with care, right? And when it comes to self-control, well, I, I just bet you... On any given Sunday, this is going to be the case. Someone is here because they feel like they're spiraling out of control. That's always the case on a Sunday morning. A lot of times when, when someone uh, comes to church, it's, it's out of an act of desperation. They feel like they're spiraling out of control, and so they're trying to get some stability in their life. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you're in that tailspin, and that provoked you to come to church today. But I want you to know if that is you, you are in great company. You're in great company. We're, we're here on a Mother's Day. Maybe we got on our Sunday best, but I can assure you everyone in here is a mess. Everyone in here has problems backsliding. Everybody in here has a pet sin that they just can't quite kill. Everyone in here struggles to be good. We struggle. And so we have 
seasons of our lives, too, that we feel like we're in that tailspin. And so you are in good company no matter where you're at in that mess today. And the message of the Bible is clear that God has not abandoned you in that mess. And so I hope that if you're here, you know that God has not abandoned you. He has you here to feel some security. And so I think that's a relief that the Bible teaches us that God doesn't give up on us. I think that's a huge relief to read about in the gospel. Like, like we, we have a hard time believing that God doesn't abandon us. We have a hard time believing that God doesn't give up on us when we're a mess because that's how we treat others. That's, how, that's, that's us. Again, I've mentioned this before. That's us projecting ourselves onto God. That's not what Scripture teaches that's what, we've, we've, that's what we've concluded by viewing and experiencing life with other humans, right? It's often the case that we give up on other people because they do us wrong, right? We blacklist people when they don't behave the way that they should. And maybe it's the case where you know how it feels to be given up on. Because people in your life have given up on you. And you didn't meet some expectation that they had of you, whether it be fair or not. And you've been abandoned by them. And so you just figure God is that way too. We all struggle with this from time to time. I mean, people have given up on me as a pastor. I know that. I've felt that. If I don't meet some expectation of theirs when they come to the journey, and I'm always one remark away from you never coming back. (laughs) I can always say something wrong, and it's over. I know that. I'm always that close to the line. That's where a pastor lives. But, you know, sometimes I don't meet those expectations and people give up on me. So it's, it's, it's even so tempting for a pastor who preaches the word of God and reads this message on a weekly basis to believe that God is not that way. But when we get into the word, it corrects us. And it says, hey, God does not abandon you. He does not give up on you. He steps into your mess. This is the message of the gospel that, that mankind is sinful. And so God entered his creation to redeem us. He not only, not only did he not abandon us, he got in the mess. He got in the mess. He sent his own son to die for us, to die for our our mess, our mistakes. And then he gives us the righteousness that we don't have. It's imputed to us through faith in Christ. And so then what happens and what we're learning about this, this work of the spirit called the fruit of the spirit is that he not only saves us from our sin, he not only doesn't abandon us, but he steps into our lives in such a way and does a work in our hearts and minds to change us. He doesn't leave us in the mess in the sense that, well, I've saved you, so now I'm just going to tolerate you uh, for, you know, and all the problems that you have. No, he steps in in such a way that he changes you, as the Bible describes, one degree to the next. And this is a lifelong change. It's a lifelong change that we go. And what Paul describes as this lifelong change is an effort to keep in step with the Spirit. We work alongside the Spirit's work in our hearts and minds. We're led by the Spirit in the sense that we pursue who God is. And the more we know Him, the more we want to behave godly like Him. And so today, the, that attribute that we are concluding this series on is, is self-control. Self-control. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. A consequence of being in relationship with God is that he will do a work in your hearts and minds and self-control will begin to manifest over time. Isn't that a joy? I hope so. <laughs> what, what a great hope to be able to have. Like, so what, what is self-control though? What are we talking about? Well, it's the ability to control oneself. Okay, we're done. 
No. Like, when we're talking about biblical self-control, when we look into Scripture and study this, this term that comes up in the Greek, there, there's kind of, kind of two aspects we need to think about when we think about self-control. There's one aspect that it's talking about that, that inner strength to, to manage the desires and the passions that we have going on inside of us. And the other aspect is, is, is the ability to use sober judgment as we filter all of these passions and desires that we have. So maybe we can summarize it like this. You know, to have self-control means to, to have sound judgment to determine what to do. And then to have the inner strength to actually do it. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about self-control. And when you think of that in terms of a Christian worldview, you're, you're talking about being able to discern what is right and wrong according to what God says. It's God's standard. He is the standard for right and wrong. So being able to discern what is right and wrong and then being able to have the strength to act upon what is right and what is wrong. So the, the Holy Spirit does a work in our heart that empowers us to do this rightly. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so when Paul, for example, when he's writing to the church at Philippi in, in, in chapter 2, verse 13, he encourages them in this way, knowing that these are genuine believers and there's a work of the Spirit going on in their hearts. He says to them, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See how he encourages them? He's like, hey, be, be encouraged, fellas. God is doing a work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a work being done in your heart. You're being changed from one degree to the next. And he's working out his will in your life so that you can do things like discern and Make good choices and, and live according to his glory. And so, again, it's, it's such a relief to me. And I want you to feel this relief this morning, too, with me that when it comes to this, this work of the Spirit, we, we are gonna, we're not alone in this battle for self-control. We're not alone in this battle. So, so when we think about self-control, though, we may think of a lot of different areas in our, in our lives. Maybe, you know, that you can think about the uh, physical aspect of this. You know, uh, self-control with regard to sexual sin or, or gluttony or, or things of those natures. Uh, but, but, but what I want to think about today is the battle, the battle for self-control ultimately, it, it takes place in our minds, doesn't it? I mean, it takes place in our minds. The, if, it was, if it wasn't for self-control, we'd do all the bad things all the time, wouldn't we? That's what the Bible teaches, actually. You know, the Bible teaches that when we sin, it's actually because we want to. There's, there's, we're, we're born that way. We naturally want to rebel. We want to sin. For example, James chapter 1, he says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so, like I said at the beginning of this series... Your old self that the Bible speaks of, it's as good as dead, but it ain't dead yet. It's going to be dead, and we work to put it to death, and we want to live in our new selves. We are a new creation in Christ, but we still got to continue to, to shed our old selves. And so those, those sinful desires, those sinful passions that we have, like it's because it's in there. That's coming from within us. Like, if you go looking around in my brain, bring a flashlight. That's, that's, that's what I'll tell you. Like, 
It's, there's going to be some spots in there that are dark. It's just because I, I am still fighting sin just like the rest of you. I am a work in progress. So Jesus would actually teach this too. There would be all kinds of arguments and disputes in his day. And they would argue what's right and what's wrong. And, and talk about all of these rituals and things that defile you. And, and all of these arguments and debates would spin out of control. And Jesus, when he would teach, he would correct this. He's like... Man, you're, you're, th- you're worried about being defiled in things, but listen, what defiles you is, is coming from within. It's already in there. You're already defiled. You need redeemed. So, so he says in, in, in Mark chapter 7, he says what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Jesus is saying, you're you're already defiled. And so, if we don't keep in step with the Spirit, as we've learned in Galatians, if we're not led by the Spirit, as we're being taught in Galatians, all of those sinful desires and passions, they will get the best of us. If we don't keep in step with the Spirit, they will get the best of us. We are vulnerable to all of this sin. And we are not secure unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit to work alongside, to do this work in our hearts, to fight for holiness. So, I mean, here's a great, here's a great analogy. I mentioned it um, I'm preaching in Proverbs starting next week. There's so many good one-liners in Proverbs. And we're going to cover so many of them, and I'm so excited. But it just, it it explains a lack of self-control so well in this verse. In Proverbs 25, 28, a a person who lacks self-control is described like this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, that would have been a really powerful analogy back in the day. Because back in the day, when that was written, if you had a city and it didn't have a wall to secure it, right? You're, you were a sitting duck. And so any, any city that was going to be fortified, right? That was going to be worth something had to be fortified with walls. And so those walls gave security to the people who lived inside. Those walls enabled the city to manage what came into the city. And it also managed what went out of the city. So a man who lacks self-control looks like a city without walls. There's no control of what goes in and what comes out. And so I I think that's just such a great way to put it. Because when we're talking about self-control, I think we need to begin to think like this and behave like this in such a way that we're we're guarding our hearts and minds. And we're going to read a passage where that comes from in in a little bit. It's, it's being able to have control in the sense that we're, we're controlling what comes out and we're controlling what goes in. That's what it means to have self-control. And so I think so much of this, again, it happens in our thoughts. We have to keep our thoughts in check if we want to be people who live with self-control because our imaginations often run wild, don't they? I mean, this is why Jesus, he would teach, when he, when he would teach about adultery, he would say things like, Oh, yeah, you've heard it said that adultery is wrong. But, but I say, like, even if you think about it, you've already committed adultery. 
So he's, he's, ma- he's making the, the point there that because we are defiled inside and because we have these bad thoughts, that's where all of that sin begins. It's already in there. And so if we allow these thoughts to go unchecked, if we allow these thoughts to go ungoverned, what happens is stuff leaves and it manifests in our lives. So we need to have a fortified mind, right? We need to have self-control when it comes to our thoughts. We need to deal with those sinful thoughts. Deal with those, those sinful tendencies and, and, and deal with the, the, the desires and the passions that aren't right. Don't believe everything you tell yourself, right? Do you believe everything that you tell yourself? I mean, the, the Bible says not to. Right? We got all kinds of stuff swirling around up there. You can't always, you can't always trust yourself. This, that's, that's a truth in the New Testament and the Old Testament. I mean, you can look in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and, and Paul refers to our thoughts as deceiving at times. You can look in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 17, and he would talk about how you know, the heart is a deceitful thing. Right? You can't always trust yourself. There's sin in there. We're defiled. And so when we want to exercise self-control, we are leaning into this work of the Holy Spirit to be able to govern those thoughts and those passions and those desires and discern what's good and what's bad and how we're going to deal with it. That's what it means to be a self-controlled person. So I, I thought of a couple of just practical ways in which we do this. A, a couple of practical ways that we often lie to ourselves and then believe our own lies. It seems impossible, doesn't it? But we do it all the time. One way is scenario building. Do you ever, you ever scenario build in your mind? Everybody's like, yep. Right? When you're in conflict with someone else and you begin to scenario build, this is where people get in all sorts of trouble. This is where we start to build all kinds of lies and then buy into it. You ever been into one of those situations where you're, you're like stewing on something because you're in conflict with someone else and then you, you start thinking about it and thinking about it and you're imagining where this will go from here? And then pretty soon you lose like a half an hour of time into imagining what would happen. <laughs> so, please tell me someone else does this, right? It's not, okay, hey, all right, hey, all right. Or maybe your imagination starts to run wild in this conflict and, and you start to, you start to put thoughts in their head that aren't even there, imagining what their motives are and what they are thinking. It's like you're trying to play chess, but you're playing with yourself. You're just playing chess with yourself. And you're, you're creating this movie that starts to play out in your mind. And then if you do that long enough, you start believing that the movie is reality. And then you get to the point in which you are building resentment towards a person based on what you've dreamed up. You're, you're getting to the point in which you are stewing on a false reality. You're lying to yourself. It's all fake news. You've made it. You're the one that's written the script. And so when you get in that frame of mind, though, to where you're scenario building and, and, and you're just losing hours of time scenario building and thinking things out like this. We do it with our spouses all the time, too, you know. When you do this, you have to cope with that. And so when you leave those thoughts ungoverned and you're, and you're lacking the self-control to manage those false thoughts and you're just, you've ran wild with scenario building, you've got to cope with all of that false reality that's been stewing in your mind that whole time, right? And so you're vulnerable. You're like a city with no walls at that point. You are vulnerable to sin. And so when you get an opportunity to gossip, it makes sense because you've got all this resentment and bitterness in your heart. 
When you get an opportunity to hear slander, you entertain it. You feed off of it because you're mad. You're you're vulnerable. You've lied to yourself to the point in which you are vulnerable to all sorts of sins. Or maybe maybe the worst yet is when, when people, after scenario building, they go looking for allies, right? They're, they're already building a counterattack. Nothing's happened in reality. But they're building a counterattack and they're building an army because they're so mad at someone based on what's just gone on in their mind. So we all know we lie to ourselves a lot. And when you scenario build... Make no mistake, it is a lack of self-control. And I've been guilty of it myself. Here's another practical way. I think we do it a lot. We not only lie to ourselves about other people in the world, we lie to ourselves about ourselves. Right? We, We get into a frame of mind when things aren't going our way that we'll start lying to ourselves about ourselves. We'll start to tell ourselves, uh, I'm worthless. Right? When things aren't going our way, uh, I'm always a disaster. I can't do anything right. Nothing goes my way. The world is out to get get me, right? Or maybe you get in that frame of mind where you're like, of course this has happened. It's me. Right? Have we we said things like that before? We start to lie to ourselves because we're mad. Some people, people, when they get in this frame of mind, they begin to live in such a a perpetual state of self-pity. That they are always the victim. And so no matter what happens in life, they just got to manage to think about things in a way in which they've been victimized. Because they just existed in that self-pity for so long. It's how they cope with everything. And when you do that, you're like a city that has no walls. You're lacking self-control. You're not controlling what's going out. You're not controlling what's coming in. And so when you, when you get into that frame of mind, you're vulnerable to all sorts of sin. And people that exist there for long enough, they start thinking things like, well, I'll tolerate when people sin against me in certain ways because I deserve it. Because I am worthless. You've believed the lie. Or maybe people in that frame of mind, when they've existed at rock bottom for so long and they stay there, they, they begin to indulge in sin that they normally wouldn't. But they've just lied to themselves about themselves for so long that they begin to think like, well, I may as well indulge in sexual sin because... Rock bottom is where I live anyway. I, I may as well indulge in the sin of gluttony because that's the misery I live in anyway. It's self-pity. And it's a lack of self-control. God doesn't want you to exist in that frame of mind. He wants to give you security. He wants you to be a city with walls. He wants to empower you. And a fruit of the Spirit, a fruit of, a fruit of being a relationship with God is that you can have a more secure way of thinking. And so make no mistake, like having, having the fruit of self-control in your life, it doesn't mean that you're never going to be in a bad frame of mind. We will often get to a bad frame of mind for the rest of our lives, this side of heaven. But what having self-control is, what, what it means is that once we get into that frame of mind, we're able to reason through that by the power of the Holy Spirit to ask ourselves the right questions And to think about the right truths to either validate the thoughts in our mind or deny them and realize that we're lying to ourselves. And so when we get in that bad frame of mind, whether it be scenario building or or self-pity or whatever it may be, we can ask ourselves, uh, you know, or or conflict against someone else, is what I'm thinking really true about this person? When you're in conflict with someone else, that's a really important question to ask yourself. 
It takes a lot of self-control to stop and say, is what I'm thinking about this person that I'm mad at, is what I'm thinking about them reasonable? Is this emotion that I have towards them, is it out of proportion? Is it blown out of proportion or is it okay? That's what someone with self-control does. Is everything going wrong in my life or are there two things that have gone wrong recently? That's, a, that's an important thing to be able to ask so that we don't spiral out of control. You know, are, are my emotions, oh, or am I being overly responsive to this or are they warranted? Someone who has self-control manages the passions and desires in their mind. And so this is important. It's, it's being mindful of what's coming in and it's being mindful of what's going out. So Paul, I think Paul gives us a really good practical one-two punch when it comes to managing the thoughts in our minds. We remember that, that portion of Philippians, since I mentioned it earlier. In Philippians chapter 4, he talks about not being anxious about anything and praying about everything. You remember that passage? It's like everybody's favorite passage. Because we, we just, right out, the, right out the shoot, like we read, that, we read that verse, don't be anxious about anything. And immediately we're, we're like, I'm, I'm anxious about everything. I'm not supposed to be anxious about stuff. Maybe I should keep reading. So let me just read to you the whole passage in, in uh, context here. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's that wall. And he continues and says, finally, brothers, here's, here's, the, here's the two. That was the one punch. Here's the two punch. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Self-control is a matter of managing our thoughts and thinking about the right things in the right way. I feel like when I lack self-control, my biggest symptom is thinking about all the wrong things all the time. It's like, I, it's like at, at, at times I can develop an addiction to thinking all the wrong things. Have you been there? I'm pretty sure I was there like all last year. <laughs> I think that was our number one biggest problem for, for so many of us last year. And the, the biggest symptom of 2020 was so routinely being immersed in all the negativity. So routinely being immersed in everything that was going wrong and everything that could go wrong. And we didn't pray enough. And we, we, instead of praying and instead of thinking about things we should be thinking about, or at least including some good thoughts in with the negativity, we just stayed focused on the negativity. And so our society as a whole lost control. They got just carried away with so many different matters and they became so emotionally exhausted. That's what you hear people talk about now, even in the secular world. You don't understand how emotionally exhausted you are right now. You know, you'll hear all those articles and see that in the news now. I'm like, don't tell me I'm emotionally exhausted. You're the one that made me emotionally exhausted, buddy. All your negative news all the time, right? But these are the articles we're beginning to see. Like, people are emotionally exhausted. Why? It's because they were addicted to thinking about all the wrong things for so long. And if you do that as a part of your daily routine and you don't ever manage those thoughts the way God teaches us to, 
Well, you're like a city with the walls down. You're, you're vulnerable to all sorts of exhaustion and all sorts of sin. All your problems are going to seem so much more amplified all the time because you're hyper-focused on all the wrong things. And so in Philippians 4, Paul's saying, here's what self-control looks like to the anxious, or to the anxious Christian. Are you suffering from anxiety? Do this. Take your anxieties and your burdens to God. That's how you exercise self-control when you're feeling anxious. You have the tool that is prayer. You can take your burdens to God. You can make your requests known to Him. And that is a way that we regulate the anxieties that we will inevitably have and inevitably struggle with. It's how we manage our thoughts. We're doing something about the anxiety in our hearts and minds. We're praying about it. We're doing something. And Paul says, when we do this, here's what the walls begin to look like in our minds. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, by the way, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have a city that is now fortified with the walls of peace. And so we're able to better manage what's coming out of us, how we respond to things. We're managing what comes in. And so... I really believe that the, that the reason it is set up this way is so that when we pray, we realize we've done something about what we're worrying about. That's so often why we feel anxious, right? There's things going wrong and we don't know what to do. And we feel like we can't do anything about it. It's all out of our control and out of our hands. And so we just worry and wor- worry and worry. Or there's someone in our lives that we're just worried about and we don't know what to do. And we can't help them. We've tried and we, and we can't get the results that we want. So we, we, we get perpetually more and more anxious. God gives us the tool of prayer to take our burdens to him. You are doing something about it when you pray for someone or pray for a concern in your life or, or a circumstance in your life. And when you've done something about what's going wrong, you feel at ease. You feel peace. You feel more in control. And whenever you begin to free up some thinking space by casting your burdens onto God. You now have the capacity to think about something else rather than what is constantly going wrong in your mind. So where you've dedicated 100% of the space in your mind to think about everything going wrong, whenever you pray about things, now you've made some room. And in addition to things that you're worrying about, you can now have things to think about that are good, that are commendable, right? that are honorable, that are just, that are lovely, that are excellent, that are worthy of praise. That's the one-two punch that Paul gives us. And so knowing that God is completely in control in ways that we can't even fathom or wrap our minds around, He is sovereign. He is completely in control. So if we take our burdens to Him, we're instructed to, we're taught to, He wants us to, and He wants us to keep doing that. We know that he is completely in control and will answer those requests according to his will. And, and since he is in control completely, we can exercise some self-control. Now we got the capacity to do so. That's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And so let me read to you that, that analogy in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight again. It says, a man without self-control is, a li- is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's, it, the analogy fits because it's describing someone who's insecure, right? That's the word we like to use. 
Well, that person's just really insecure. Oh, well, they're just really insecure. Well, when you lack self-control, you're like a city without walls. You don't feel safe. That's why you turn to sin. That's why you're vulnerable to so many things that you wouldn't normally do. So someone who has this fruit of the Spirit in their life that is self-control, we're managing our thoughts. We're, we're discerning if we're lying to ourselves or not. We're, we're examining things in a righteous way. And we're given this wall of peace that we feel because we trust God. And so we, we, we feel more in control. We are enabled to be in more control to how we respond to other people. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to prove our worth. Because all of it's wrapped up in Christ. So we now have the ability to be less frustrated, less flustered, less less agitated. We don't have to be continuously upset all the time. Because we have the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control. We have the peace of God in our lives. We feel safe. We feel secure in Him. And so here's what happens. Whenever you can be the type of person that that has some self-control, you're going to offer relief to people that live around you. You're going to be able to offer peace to people who are living around you. Isn't it a joy when you are feeling crazy? When you are feeling like you are spiraling to be able to go to someone who isn't spiraling? And just immediately when you're with them, it's relief. God wants us to be like that. He wants to manifest his character in us in such a way that we, he can have this impact in this world through us. And so he's developing that character in us specifically to offer his peace and to provide that relief in this world. And that's my prayer, that this fruit of the Spirit would manifest in this way that our families can feel it. That when they come home, it's peace. That your coworkers feel it. When you go to work, people are, it's a relief that you're there. And when things are going bad for a whole year that you can have people in your life and be that person in someone else's life that says, Hey, God's in control. Let's pray about this. Let's think through this together. Let's reason through this. Let's discern this man. That's that builds so much security and peace in our lives. And that's what God wants to do in your life today. So let's pray. And then we're going to go into a time of communion in which we Remember the source and the reason for that peace is that we've been redeemed through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for your instruction that equips us, that equips us to to handle this world. Lord, I know that so many of us in here, including myself, we're so guilty of scenario building. We're so guilty of not managing, not governing those thoughts, letting thoughts run wild and and fester. We have sinful thoughts in our minds that we just think, well, nobody else can see this. And so maybe I'll just let it go or let it just exist there. But Lord, you want more for us. You want to do a work in our hearts and want us to work alongside that work that would put those thoughts to death, that we would shed off our old selves, even the part of us like in our minds, Lord, that we could be a new creation in you that would seek to think righteous thoughts that would seek to filter what comes out of us and filter what goes in as well so that we could avoid sin and live to your glory. Thank you, Lord, for doing this work in our hearts. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit and the hope that we are being changed and not just being left in our sin.
Father, help us to honor you and be renewed and refreshed in a time of communion. It's in your name that we pray.